but I wanted to make a point. And that is, if you think you can grow up spiritually without investing your heart and your time and your energies and doing something about it, people aren't leveling with you. It doesn't happen automatic. There is no app for spiritual growth except the Word of God and getting involved and obeying it and putting forth your heart in that. But the good news is, and I talked about it last week, is that maturing is attainable. And that's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. And that's the vision before the church right now. That each of us will take some concrete steps toward growing up in our relationship with Christ. And that we're all going to do this together. Now I stood amazed this week as I asked our team how many cards were turned in last Sunday. And they said 649. And that's a good start. I'm so glad to see that. 649 of you said, I am in, hands in the middle. I want to be part of a church that's growing because as everyone grows, the church will grow up together. And if you haven't yet made that commitment, I trust that you will. As Pastor Chris said, you can go to the Growing Up Together Central in the lobby area. You can get a card, and it tells you which card to give away to the church, which card you can give to somebody as a partner, which card that you keep for yourself. But I'd love to see... Theoretically, if not practically, everybody who calls this place their church home saying, I am in. I want to take some growth spiritually. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for explaining a little bit of that early on in the service. That way I won't have to do that in the sermon. So I want to jump into where we're heading in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to be living in that book for maybe three or four months. It's a book on how to grow up in Christ. And so one of the things we want to do today is to get to know about the author of the book, not just the content of the book. And so we're going to take a look at two verses in this chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So I'm going to ask you in honor of God's Word to stand together with me as I read this portion of God's Word today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You may be seated. Well, we're going to go verse by verse in this book for the next number of months because we want you to grow through 1 Peter. And we're taking two verses today, and you might be thinking, 105, divide that by, that's a year's worth. We're going to go faster than that, I I can guarantee you. We're just not going to take two verses a week. But, But I wanted to land on something really important. I wanted to land on who this person is, this apostle Peter, this fisherman that turned apostle, this man that was the extrovert of the apostles, This man that denied Christ three times. This man that was writing probably in A.D. 64 under a furious and maniacal emperor by the name of Nero. Now Peter is writing, he says in verse 1, to the elect exiles. This phrase is pregnant with meaning. Elect exiles. And it's basically a term for believers in Christ, but it has a special nuance when it's talking about elect. That means one thing, and exiles means another thing. It's a very important thing to understand what he's talking to. The word elect, 
basically in the New Testament is looking at the reality of Christians who are not Christians by chance or their own human decision. These are Christians because of God's sovereign and unconditional choice of them. Now you're thinking, oh, brother, did you just open a can of worms? Are you saying, on the one hand, that God chose quite independently of what a person did, who would be saved? Or are you saying that God looked down the corridors of time and by his foreknowledge saw who would by faith believe and therefore call them the elect? Well, let me tell you something. This has been debated for 20 centuries. And if you think that I can solve that problem this morning, you're wrong. I, I can't do that. It's going to be ambiguous until the time that Jesus Christ calls. But what I can do is to say to you that no matter your position of how these Christians got there, Paul is saying, I am writing to a group of authentic, born-again believers. That's the net result. Now, because these peoples were called exiles, not only were they elect, but they were exiles, it says they were scattered. I want you to know it isn't because they scattered because they decided I'd rather live in Youngstown or Canfield rather than Boardman or Austintown. And so I'm just going to, these people were scattered because of their faith. They lost their homes. They lost their belongings. And they had to get out of town and get some other place because of the persecutions and the pagan environment in which they lived. And so they were scattered throughout five Roman provinces on the peninsula of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And Paul says, I'm writing this letter, and I want you to pass it through those five provinces. Wherever these elect exiles are, I want them to read these letters. Now, verse 2 is theologically rich. I mean, this is really a gold mine here. It speaks of the role of the Trinity in our salvation. The Father, His foreknowledge. The Spirit, through His sanctification. And Christ, by obedience to Him and for sprinkling with His blood. Now, I'm not going to go into these matters today because they appear in some form in the letter to come. And we'll take more time with these themes as they come. I would commend them to your own personal study, and by all means, I hope that you are all students of the Word, that you may grow thereby. But what I want to do today is to concentrate on the first six words of verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here's the reason. If we are going to spend four months, perhaps, in the letter of 1 Peter, you need to know the man. You need to know the messenger as we look at the message. And so here's the big idea today. We need to know the Apostle Peter as a person, not just his writings. And he was such an active and colorful person. In fact, there's so much we could talk about. All I could do today is to squeeze the 10 most important words that I felt would be appropriate to Peter that you might understand him and for memorable reasons to put a C in front of each word so that every one of these 10 words starts with the letter C and in hopes that you'll understand and remember a little bit more about the Apostle Peter. So I begin first of all with the first word, credentials. Now the ancients started their letters differently than we and I was just realizing today that perhaps the younger generation doesn't even know what a stamp in a letter is. You know, they're, they're into Facebook. and I mean, I don't know who it was up here. Maybe it was Pastor Nathan, Nathan or Pastor Chris. And they were talking about all these things that are out there. Instagram, is that one thing that's out there now? And I don't know what these things are. So they probably never. But when you wrote a letter, you didn't do it the way we do it 
these days. We would put Dear Sally, and then we would sign our name. In the ancient time, they would put their name, the author of the letter, first. And so the apostle Paul, in every one of his letters, goes, Paul, and then he writes the letter. And Peter, his two letters, he writes Peter, and there he is saying that he's the author of the letter, and then he goes to those that he is writing to. But I want you to see, it's not just the name here that appears. It is the credential. It's the credential. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that Peter was a hand-picked apostle who carried the authority and power of Christ with his name and his office and his function. And these apostles, and there were only 13 of them. And when they died, they were gone. And somebody said, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't there be 14? I want you to know I do not include Judas in this list. He was never in the church. He was not, he's not one of the apostles that Paul says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles. He was long gone when the church came. It was the 13, the one that replaced Judas, and then the apostle Paul. And they had unusual authority so they could walk in the church and speak in the church and have the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Now, not all the apostolic letters have survived, but Peter has two of them did. And I want you to understand that when you read the words of Peter, they have the authority of Jesus Christ himself as though he were speaking to us through Peter, and that's exactly what's happening. So in the weeks to come, I don't want you to look at Peter and his first book as a book of information and say, well, that was nice to learn. That's good stuff. Hey, maybe I'll try that on and see if it works. This is not for information. P Peter's writings are supposed to be transformational. That he's telling us things that we are to obey and apply into his life and that they will not be optional. They will be very functional in our lives that we will take it to our hearts and be changed. Now, I want to give you a little warning. In our flesh and in the culture we're tuned to, a number of the things that the Apostle Peter talks about, we're not going to like. We're going to have to have some spiritual receptors. We're going to have to understand some things in the spiritual realm to swallow some of those things that are coming down the road, including something that Pastor Chris will be preaching on in a little while, that little word called submission. That's a hard thing to swallow in our culture today. And so we have the Apostle Paul. He is credentialed, excuse me, Peter. He is credentialed as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The second C is Capernaum. And this is the word I'm drawing from in the early days when we catch up with Peter. This is where we find him in his early time of life. Now, Capernaum is an interesting little town that was a bustling commerce town on the northern shores of Galilee back in his days. Today, it's a, day, it's a city, an impressive city of ruins. I've been there nine times. And it's, it's an incredible little place. But um, Capernaum, we're not sure if Peter was born there. We know he was living there when Christ found him. But I, I want to talk just a moment about Peter's name as we find him in Capernaum. His birth name, and follow me here. This is a little complicated, but you're going to see where I'm going, okay? His birth name was Simeon Barjona, according to the scriptures. Simeon was a common Hebrew name that came from one of the 12 tribes, Simeon. But the Greeks would take over the Simeon, and then they would take that name and call it Simon. So Simeon became Simon, and 
Then the word Bar means son, and Jonah means John. So we have Simon, Bar, or son of John. And then the Lord mixed all this complicated stuff up and said, okay, we're going to change your name from Simon to Peter. So if you put all of this together and you want a modern 21st century equivalent, what would his name be now? It would be Peter Johnson. Did you follow that? Okay, Peter Johnson. Well, Peter was a fisherman by trade along with his brother Andrew, and countless times they had gone out of this docking area in Capernaum fishing. And from the scriptures, we know that when Jesus caught up with Peter, he was married, living in Capernaum. And that the only, we don't even know about his wife. All we know about is his mother-in-law, that she was sick, and that Jesus healed her. I ran across this bumper sticker not too long ago, which said, in case of rapture, this car will swerve while my mother-in-law takes over the wheel. <laughs> that wasn't nice, I know. But Peter's mother-in-law and, and Peter and his wife lived in Capernaum. Soon after Peter met Christ, Capernaum slips into the background. As Peter travels with the Lord for three years, once in a while they're making stops at Capernaum. But later on, after the three years are over, then we see Peter transferring his residence perhaps down in Jerusalem where he becomes the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And then when Paul takes over the church from Peter, he kind of fades out of view. And we think he was an itinerant preacher and ultimately ended up the last years of his life in Rome. So Capernaum is the early days of Peter when Jesus found him. The third C is the word call. And I want you to see the call of Christ to Peter. It was the day after John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and Andrew was with John, and Jesus comes up. And John introduces Jesus to Andrew, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And Andrew recognized Jesus as the Messiah, and immediately Andrew became a follower of Jesus Christ. Andrew was so excited that he had found the Lord, the Messiah, that the one thought was on his mind, he wanted his brother to find him too. And I hope that when you come to Christ, that the heavy heart that's, that you have is that your relatives would also come to know Christ. And so he went looking for Peter, and he found Peter, and he brought Peter to Christ, and there he was converted. And when Jesus looked at Peter in that initial meeting, he changed his name from Simon to Peter, and he said to him, you are Simon, son of Jonah, your new name will be Peter. And there he was converted to Christ and he was called. Now Jesus called his disciples into ministry in stages. I don't know if you know that. But the first stages he called were people to be his disciples, learners and apprentices. And then he called them to be apostles, his commissioned leaders. And Peter was the first disciple called. And there was no hesitation. Peter accepted the call immediately. And then later, he was the first one to be named an apostle. And with the exception of Peter's denial of his Lord the night before the crucifixion of Christ, Peter never wavered from his call. He was full steam ahead. He followed the Lord his entire life, and he led the church in the early cause of Christ. Certainly that call had captured him. Now we come to the fourth word, which is the word catch. What Peter would be doing with his life now that he's come to know the Lord. We catch up with Peter in Mark 1.16 in this regard. When he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, 
and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net in the sea. The extended story is in Luke chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. They'd been fishing all night and they caught nothing. And here comes this inexperienced guy by the name of the Lord. And here the experienced fishermen are, and the Lord says, toss your nets to the other side. And they did so. And immediately the nets were full until it seemed like the boat would sink. It was so full of fish. And in verse 11 of Luke chapter 5, it says that Peter at that point left everything to follow Jesus because Jesus had said to him, from now on, Peter, you will not be catching fish. You will be catching men. And that's the reason I use this word catch. From that point on, Peter became a proficient catcher of men. To the point in Acts chapter 2, when he preached that sermon, 3,000 people were converted that day. Wouldn't that be awesome? We're excited when five come to the Lord in a day. 3,000. He was catching men for the rest of his life. Now, even though Peter left the sea, it was always his first love. But what the, what the Apostle Paul saw in John chapter 21 was the Lord reminding him, Peter, even though you're catching men and women, even though they're going to find salvation, and that's a priority with the Lord, there's another priority with the Lord. It is not that you catch the fish. It's that you help them grow to maturity. And there he commissioned the Apostle Peter. Not only will you catch them, but you will shepherd them and lead them to maturity, which leads us to the next C. Word five is character. And I'm not talking about that Peter was a character because he was a colorful character. I'm talking about his heart and what happened to him. Now, Peter was this impulsive, almost irreverent guy that would speak before he thought. In fact, his personal rule was probably, when in doubt, speak up. You ever notice people like that? You can, you can spot them wherever they are. And if he assessed the situation, he wouldn't even think. He'd just go ahead and do something about it. And by the way, I think making a decision is better than not making a decision. But he was so spontaneous that Alexander White, an author, said of Peter that he was hasty, headlong, speaking impertinently and unadvisedly, ready to repent, ever wading into waters too deep for him, and ever turning to his master again like a little child. Jesus came to his life, and he remade his character. A man who was crusty and earthy, became a man of devotion and commitment. A man that wouldn't think first, but act first. Became a man of enthusiasm and boldness directed to the right causes. And Jesus took the strengths of Peter, and he maximized them, but he took the weaknesses of Peter and turned them around. And you know what that does for me, and I hope it does for you, is that if the Lord could take Peter's strengths and his weaknesses and make him a man of character, he can do the same thing for us. And so if you're sitting on the sidelines wondering, well, what if the Lord can ever do anything with and for me? There is great news. If he could do it for Peter, he can do it for you. He can do it for me. The next C, word six, is the word captain. And I'm using this as the word leader, captain. He was the top leader in the church. His dominant personality made him the leader of the apostles. And I don't know if you've ever looked at it, but he heads every list of the list of disciples in the Gospels. He's the first one out of the gate, Peter, and the others follow. 
He was the recognized leader of the apostles. He was the spokesperson for the apostles. He was the one who took most of the risks. And in the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, he was the leader there. And when the church was born, it was Peter who was the leader of the early church. It was Peter who took the lead role when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2 and he preached that sermon. It was Peter who first opened the door to the Gentiles. It was Peter who was the first leader of the church that then gave the mantle over to the apostle Paul. Now this brings up an interesting point. Today, there are millions who say that Peter is still the leader of the church via the appointees, the designation of the line of succession of all the popes. And that Peter was the first pope and the first great leader of the church began this chain of leaders called popes that has continued down to this current day. That's called the doctrine of apostolic succession. And I think we can all agree that Peter was the first leader of the church. I think we can all agree that he was a great man. But here's the problem. There's not one shred of evidence in the New Testament that Peter was a pope and that from him came all the other popes. What happened is that in the early centuries, as the church, the Catholic church developed, this idea of apostolic succession began to emerge, but it's simply not in the Bible. And that's the reason Protestants do not acknowledge Peter as the first pope or those who followed him as in the line of his succession. That leads me to the next seat. And that's the word chip. How can you talk about Peter without mentioning his great confession in Matthew chapter 16? Do you remember that occasion? There they were in Caesarea Philippi. And Peter looks at them and say, who do these people say that I am? And some of the disciples begin to say, well, they say you're this, they say you're this. And then he looks at them, his disciples, and he says, who do you say that I am? Guess who was the first one out of the gate with a response? Peter, this leader, this man who speaks immediately before he even thinks sometimes, and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, oh, you didn't come up that on your own. It was your heavenly father who gave you that insight. And then Jesus spoke these words to Peter that have confused the church ever since. You are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I wish you could see where Jesus spoke these words. I've been there nine times. I've always been impressed. This great, big, monolithic, huge rock with a great face, one of the biggest monolithic rocks in the world. This place is called Banias, Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. And there he's speaking. And in front of that large rock, a perfect place to teach a lesson on Peter's name. This play on words in verse 17. Jesus said to Peter, you are Petros in Greek. That form of the word means a stone chipped from a large rock. A stone chipped from a large rock. And that's why I use the word chip for my point. Peter is a piece or a chip of a larger living rock. And many have said that Peter's nickname could really be Rocky, therefore. And I'm saying it could just as easy be chip. And that's the reason it's chip here today. The next thing Jesus says is, upon this rock, I will build my church. But Jesus changes the form of the Greek word there to Petra. And that means a huge rock or mountainside. 
Why the change in the word form? From chip to huge rock. Well, Jesus is teaching something through Peter's name here that we all need to know. It's so important. And unfortunately, there's no consensus on interpretations. So I'm going to give you three of the big ones. And I'm going to tell you which one I lean to. But I want to tell you the under, underlying truth. Interpretation one. Jesus might be saying, Peter, you're this little chip, this little rock. I'm the big rock upon which the church will be built. And so, Peter, you're the little rock. I'm the big rock. And behind him is this huge rock. And they're teaching this lesson. And I believe that this might be the interpretation because of Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, a reference of the stones that's there. Interpretation 2. Peter, you're the rock upon which the church will be built. And the change in word forms of rock and small rock, big rock, mean nothing. What this is saying is that Peter is going to be the founder of the church, just like Abraham was the founder of Israel. And that's one possibility. Interpretation three. Peter, what you've just said about me, your confession of truth, is the rock upon which the church will be built. In other words, Jesus was saying, upon the truth that you have just said, Peter, that the Lord gave you, that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that because there is no greater foundation upon that truth, I will build my church. I personally opt for interpretation number one. But regardless of your interpretation, the bottom line is Jesus is the rock, the foundation, and there ain't nothing going to take him down. He will prevail, and because he will prevail, all us living stones, these little chips, these little rocks, Peter being the first one, will be built on that foundation, and we win in the end. Isn't that good news? Nothing can come against the church. And his name, Peter, the chip, is telling us something about the foundation, which is the Lord. Now the next C, and that's the word cloud. The most impacting moment in Peter's life spiritually was with the cloud. What am I talking about? There was a moment when they were on a mountain, Peter, James, and John. And there was the Lord. He began to glow in a phenomenal glow, like brighter than the sun. And with him appeared Moses and Elijah. Wouldn't you like to know what they were chatting about? I know I would. And so Peter, the leader, the captain, the one who speaks before he can even think what he's saying, Lord, Lord, shall I build a tent, a tabernacle for you and for Moses and Elijah and so forth? And then he's shaking in his boots because he is scared to death. And the Lord calms him down. Now, Peter had seen miracles. Peter had experienced with the Lord and all kinds of things. But this one impacted him the most. And he says so in his letter in 2 Peter, that this experience became the basis for his certainty in the truth of the Scriptures. And I don't know what your certainty is in this truth of the Scriptures, but I hope that you have had in your life some compelling experience with God in His Word that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the Word of God, and specifically also that when we're in 1 Peter, so is that the Word of God. And Peter was so convinced of the Word of God because of the transfiguration that there's some experience in your life where you can point to and say, that experience with Christ in his word has made me a stronger Christian. I covet that for people. I've had that in my life a number of times where God has met me in the word and has made certain something I've been doubting. And I hope that's the same truth experience for you as well. And so the cloud made a huge difference in his life, which leads me to the last C. It's a person. 
It's Christ. Remember when I said last week that every page in the Word leads us to Christ. Well, Christ was the center of Peter's life. And you know what? I just realized I missed a word. Why didn't you tell me? Let's go back to comeback, okay? Comeback. Do you know that no matter how close you are with the Lord, no matter how many years you've walked with Him, none of us is but a step away from a big sin and a big fall. If you, if you don't believe that, just listen to the news and see these big names out there who've led the church for many years and then they fall. There's another one out there just recently. I'm not going to mention the name. Another fall. And it has happened to Peter. But you know what? It isn't over when you fall. Somebody say amen. When you fall, there's the mercy and grace of God that pursued Peter. And even though three times he denied his Lord after he adamantly said, I will never deny you. I will die with you. Peter was crushed in heart. And he thought his failure had done him in. And it was all over, especially when he saw his leader die on the cross. But little by little, he got his legs under him again. And he was the first one to see the empty tomb. He was the first apostle to see the risen Lord. And in the episode in John 21, he was reinstated, and there he became a changed man, and he was never the same. And Peter had the privilege to launch the greatest movement in human history, the church of Jesus Christ. The Lord brought him back. There's a comeback, and I want you to know that if you have fallen, even though today you might be here and you say, I've really blown it, nobody knows my sin, you can come back, and the Lord can restore you. Which leads me now to my last C, which is Christ. And he loved the Lord. Not just in his public ministry, but in his own personal life. In John 21, they were having breakfast, the time when he is reinstated. But also there's an inf interesting point of information there that the Lord said to Peter how he would die. He told Peter that he was going to be crucified. Now the Lord must have known that Peter was a strong man because... If you tell me I'm having a blood test, I freak out. You know, I couldn't have taken it. But the apostle Peter said, you're going to die. Now let me move to tradition. That's centuries old, not the word of God. A possibility. It says that when Peter came to his moment of crucifixion in Rome, perhaps AD 65, and they were going to crucify him, he said, you cannot crucify me head up. You must crucify me head down because I will not be crucified in the same way my Lord and Savior was crucified. I am not worthy to be crucified the way he was. I don't know if that happened or not. No one knows, but it wouldn't surprise me. That was Peter who gave his all-out heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've learned a little bit about the man Peter in ten words that start with C. And I hope that that will bless you. But as I close, I want to draw it into you right now. I want to draw it into me. I want to take these 10 C's and apply them that we can realize that every one of the C's that came towards Peter also come towards us so that we might grow up together in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. So would you go with me one more time through these 10 words? The first word is credentials. None of us is an apostle obvious these days. But do you know that every one of us who knows the Lord has been given a credential, has been given a gift by the Spirit of God, and he tells us, therefore, to minister? The second is Capernaum. And we're talking here about Jesus finding us right where we live. 
He finds us right in our daily activities, and he has some incredible things in mind for us. So be open. The third word is call. Jesus calls each of us to follow him without reservation, to invest our lives in the expansion of his kingdom. Therefore, be a joyfully, be a fully devoted follower of Christ. The next word is catch. Jesus calls us to join Peter in catching people, in bringing people to Christ. How great a thing it is to bring people to Christ. Therefore, be a witness to those around you. The next word is character. Regardless of our personality, Jesus wants to maximize our strengths and minimize our weaknesses to reflect the character of Christ. So be holy. Number five is captain. Maybe we're not called upon to lead people, but do you know that we all influence somebody? There's somebody in our life that we influence. Therefore, make sure you use your influence in a positive way. Chip. We're all little chips. Peter tells us we're all little stones in his little book, 1 Peter chapter 2. And that we are precious and that we are choice. So, as little stones, we're to help build the church up in love. The next word is cloud. Jesus wants us to have occasional mountaintop experiences with him in his word in which he reveals himself in a different and unique way and impacts our lives. Therefore, expect the Lord to surprise you from time to time with his presence. Come back. I hope none of us intend to fail the Lord. But when we fall, isn't it great news to know that there's pardon and forgiveness to turn things around again. Start over again. And then finally, Christ. What's at the center of your life? Job, family, money, fame, friends, technology, even the church? Not good enough. The only life of balance, hear me, the only life worth living is when Jesus Christ is above all else. Therefore, make Jesus the Lord of your life. My friends, Peter grew up in Christ. But that wasn't the will of God only for him. It's the will of God for all of us, that all of us at Old North would grow up. So the vision we have is that every one of us are committed to grow up together in Christ here at Old North Church and take the Apostle Peter's lead in that. I'm going to ask the band to come right now and also to prepare your hearts. I give an invitation each week. It's not that just a few would come down that because they're the most needy sinners in the world. That's not what it is at all. It's an opportunity for you to hear from the Lord and your heart is being tugged. Maybe you have a need. Maybe you're praying for somebody else, as was the case with a number of people in the first service. Maybe there's something discouraging you. Maybe you've got an illness or something. We want to pray for you and have a special moment down here for you that God may mediate his spirit into your heart at that time. I'm going to ask that you stand. If you have a need for yourself, you come on down. If you have a need in somebody else's life and your burden, you come on down. If you need to repent, you need to come down. If you need to find Christ, you come down. But as we sing this song, if there's a need in your heart and the Spirit is tugging on you, you make your little way to the front and we'll pray for you. You come as we sing.